It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Welcome to Lighthouse Faith Podcast, where we are moving forward in truth and love. I'm Lauren Green, Chief Religion Correspondent for Fox News Channel and author of the book, Lighthouse Faith. You know, according to a Pew Research uh, in their study from about 2018, 80% of Americans believe in God, meaning an almighty being or some kind of higher power or spiritual force. About 19% don't, but 9% of them do believe in some kind of higher power. So that leaves just 10% don't believe in a higher power or spiritual force. That would mean they are atheists. Now, this is five years ago, so a lot of things have changed probably since then. And atheists are making a lot of legal challenges to public displays of faith. The Freedom from Religion Foundation just won a victory in New Jersey. Uh, the state decided to drop a requirement that political candidates sign an oath that included the the, the the phrase, so help me God. Now, atheism used to be associated with, you know, like science, with reason, with what could you could measure. But with advances in science and biology, physics and philosophy, uh, millions see that it actually takes more faith to be an atheist than a person who believes in God. And here is a huge point, according to my guest, atheism is no longer an option for those wishing to be regarded as intellectually honest. Oh, that hurt. Because the argument for the existence of God, an omniscient, omnipotent creator, is actually much stronger, which led best-selling author, radio host, and TV personality Eric Metaxas to write his book, Is Atheism Dead? He joins me now. So the, the short answer is yes, right? Atheism is dead uh, as an intellectual theory. There are still atheists, but that's like saying... Well, they're still flat earthers. You might be a flat earther, but nobody takes flat earthism seriously. Anybody aware of the evidence from science at this point cannot be an atheist. You can say I'm an agnostic or I'm not a Christian. I think the Bible's weird. I don't like the way you but you could say whatever you want. But to say I'm an atheist at this point should be intellectually very embarrassing. And I want people to know that, uh, you know, you can't force people to believe in the God of the Bible, but the concept that there is no God, that has to be off the table. Uh, and it is why I wrote my book, Is Atheism Dead? I said, once people see the evidence, mm -hmm. it's shocking. It is absolutely stunning. And most people, including most people of faith, have never heard the evidence. So when I stumbled on this, I thought, this is game changing stuff. We need to get the word out there that to believe in God is rational, uh, is intellectually um, acceptable, and it is atheism that is incompatible with science and logic. That's the that's mm -hmm. the big news for me. That was the big news, and I thought people need to know that. Well, you know, these arguments have been around for quite a while. I mean, some of them, at least, they like the. the um, the cos cosmological argument, the fine-tuning argument, all this is from science, and they're very compelling, very compelling. And, you know, you talk about the four horsemen, you know, uh, the uh, the four horsemen of atheism. We bring up, uh, what are their names? Um, why is it I can't remember I think remember it's them. A Harpo, Chico, <laughs> Groucho, and Zeppo or Gummo is the fourth. Uh, okay, so it's, it's Richard Dawkins, Daniel Dennett, Sam Harris, and the late Christopher Hitchens. These are the ones who really passionately 
promoted the idea that, that there is no God. What's happening right. with them right now? Honestly, Lauren, I got to be honest, really. This is I was so shocked when I finally looked at what they wrote. I was embarrassed for them. Mm. It's one thing if you say, I don't believe in God or I don't like the idea of God or Christianity is stupid. Or, you, we can have conversations all day long. But what these four men wrote is embarrassing. It's intellectually dishonest. Um, it is self-contradictory. I only write a little bit about them at the end of the book, but it's funny what I write because you cannot believe how how dopey what the, these are brilliant people yeah. in some ways who, when it comes to this subject, j- just come across like fifth graders are more logical than they are, but they got away with it. That's what I find so funny is that people were kind of, you know, impressed with their credentials and said, oh, they've got a lot of points to make. They really had no actual points to make. And I and I wish uh, I could debate uh, any of them now. Obviously, Christopher Hitchens is gone, but he was a nasty debater. I debated him once on CNN. I think that's online for uh, for about 12 minutes. Mm-hmm. But he was kind of nasty. He would attack you. He was not honest. He did not concede a point. If he lost a point, he would just insult you in a different way and move on. It's it's a pity, frankly, because I, I think that, you know, the truth deserves better. And the so-called four horsemen, again, people don't have to believe in God, but what these guys did was made a lot of money writing books and kind of, you know, getting kind of whoring after the applause of undergraduates, but they were not actually looking for uh, genuine uh, uh, intellectual arguments. They would just argue until they ran out of room and then they would change the subject and change the subject. And I was so disappointed when I really read their stuff. I thought, I'm sorry anybody was taken in by this. Well, you know, uh, Christopher Hitchens in particular, his brother was uh, became a believer, Peter Hitchens. Oh, I know his brother. I've interviewed his brother many times. Yeah. And his brother is a Christian. Yeah. It, the, the thing about it is, though, it's very interesting is that one of the uh, theologians said, you know, I've never met a true atheist. I've met people, a lot of people who are angry with God. And one of the things that's very clear about the Peter Hitchens, Christopher Hitchens story is that Christopher Hitchens lost his faith when his mother committed suicide or some. It, it, she was down in a country or whatever. They, they, her, her, their parents divorced. Um, and it was a lot of emotional stuff. He got so mad at the clergy person who was taking care of the body because, you know, he he wasn't very respectful and all of these emotional things. But what what is your take is that a lot of the a lot of the objections to faith really are more emotional than intellectual? Listen, you cannot. I, I mean, I, I will say it again. Um, the, well, I, did, I didn't say it. My book is Atheism Dead is titled as Atheism Dead. Because in 1966, Time magazine put on its cover, Is God Dead? Because all the intellectuals at that time believed that science is pushing God out and the concept of God is no longer tenable. Well, what I discovered uh, is that roughly since that time, the evidence for God from science has been moving in the opposite direction until you're at a point now where if you're intellectually honest, the evidence from fine-tuning, the evidence from a number of things for God is so astonishing. It's not just like, well, it's looking good for God. No, no, no. no. That's like saying it's looking good 
for around Earth, a spherical Earth theory. It's not looking good. The question's been decided. The only question is, do you have the guts to admit it, that the Earth is not flat? That's where we are with atheism. And I really, I realized I got to put this in a book so everybody can understand it, because most people won't believe it. We've all grown up in a world where science is pitted against faith. And we've kind of We've swallowed that narrative. Like even Christians kind of feel like, yeah, there's science and it's at odds with faith. And it, Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you the God who invented the universe and created the universe, um, science points to him. Christians invented science. There's another headline from my book that you kind of we kind of act like, well, you know, science was always at odds with people of faith. The story of Galileo. All of that is nonsense, and I write about that in the third part of the book, because people need to know the narrative has changed. People should not, should should never say, I'm an atheist. You can say, I'm a Satanist, I'm mm-hmm. an agnostic, but to say you're an atheist is preposterous at yeah. this point. Yeah. You know, let's get to the fine-tuning argument, because to me, that's one of the strongest arguments for the existence of a creator, a super being that created the world, that created the universe. What is the fine-tuning argument? Well, the fine-tuning argument, again, in in years past, science could not really show evidence of fine-tuning. So it would be very easy to say, okay, there's no God. Well, the more science has been able to uncover, the more it sees evidence of design, the more it sees evidence of when we say fine tuning, just to give the simplest example, most of us, we watch Star Trek, we watch a lot of movies and we kind of think like, well, a planet could be any size. There's life all over the universe probably. Well, we now know from science, from science, we know that if the planet Earth were the tiniest bit bigger, like 2% bigger, it could not sustain life. And you go, wait a minute, really? Mm. Yes, really. If it were like 2%, smaller, it could not sustain life. And you think, wait, 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 wait. You mean the earth has to be exactly the size that it just so happens to be for life to exist? Science now says yes, but you don't hear a lot of scientists volunteering that information. Why? Because it's embarrassing as all get out. How embarrassing that the earth has to be exactly the size it is to have the atmosphere it does and on and on and on. And And that is one example of fine-tuning, that if it was a little bit this way or a little bit that way, no life. But everywhere you look, everywhere science looks, it sees similar evidence of fine-tuning every single place you look. If if the, um, you know, when you talk about the Big Bang, 13.8 mm-hmm. billion years ago, the four fundamental constants in physics were created. So the electromagnetic force, the gravitational force, the weak nuclear force, the strong nuclear force, these four constants were set in stone less than a millionth of a second after the Big Bang. Science now says that if any of those four constants had been ever so slightly different, like by 0.0000001, there's no universe, much <laughs> less life. And these are just kind of like random things. But everywhere you look from 13.8 billion years ago, you know, to, the, to those four fundamental uh, constants in physics, to the size of the Earth, to the existence. This is one that I like, actually. The existence of the pattern, uh, the, pl- the pattern, that's a new word. <laughs> the, 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 uh, and I wasn't even going to say Saturn. The existence of the planet Jupiter. Yeah. Most people would say... You know, Jupiter, okay, it's one of the planets. What does it have to do with anything? 
Science now knows, knows, I don't mean theorizes, mm-hmm. knows that if Jupiter were not there, there would be no life on Earth. And you say, well, what in the world? How could Jupiter, which is, you know, a million, I mean, I don't know how many millions and millions and millions of, of miles away from Earth. I mean, if you see it in the night sky, it's like a tiny, tiny pinprick of light, if you could ever see it. Right. What does it have to do with life on Earth? Science now knows that Jupiter, obviously, it's the most massive planet in our solar system. It is so massive that the gravity from Jupiter draws away asteroids, meteors, comets, whatever, that normally would hit Earth. They're drawn because of this monumental gravity, the mass of of Jupiter and also Saturn. Uh, But science now knows that if Jupiter weren't there in in, in in a... in a solar system and Jupiter's not there, so many objects would hit the surface of the Earth that life never could have existed or flourished here. Like they know this is open and shut. Everywhere you look in the universe, everywhere you look on the on the the, the micro level, you see these evidences of fine-tuning that's if something were just a tiny bit different, there's no possibility of life. And when I started to look into this, I, I honestly said, this is unbelievable. How come they're not teaching this in schools? This is science. We're not talking about this is the Christian gloss on right. science. This is science. And the more we learn from science, the more dramatically we see that it doesn't make sense that everything just popped into being. It makes no sense. That theory has to take, be taken off the table. Well, that's that's what I was saying before. It's The objection to God is more emotional than intellectual. And, well, I, that, that's my, that's and it's political conclusion. as well. Yeah, and it's political well, that, as well because why aren't they teaching it in schools? Because of course you've got atheist groups like the Freedom from Religion Foundation who are ready yeah. to drop down with a with a lawsuit against any school district that actually brings God into the discussion. I know, yeah. but it's, it, it's like saying one plus one equals two shouldn't be brought into the discussion. I mean, it's so ridiculous that th- when people are afraid of the truth and the facts and reality. You know, you, you've got to realize, like, what team are they playing on? I mean, we should just go with what we see in front of us. And the evidence, actually, the reason I wrote the book is Atheism Dead. There, there are two reasons. I met a guy, one of the top scientists in the world. His name is Dr. James Torres at Rice University in Houston. I met him at a dinner about five years ago, and he starts talking to me about abiogenesis. Hmm. I had never talked to anybody about this before. I've I'd never not heard of it. <laughs> I hadn't heard of it. Abiogenesis, most of us know, I mean, th- this was on the test when, when you were junior high or in high school. They say that life began spontaneously on planet Earth. I mean, let me just say, if you ask a scientist, when did life start on planet Earth? They say, oh, we know, 4 billion years ago, you know, about 500 uh, million years into the existence of our planet, suddenly single-celled life emerged. Boom. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. So, OK, great. How did that happen? They have no idea to say they have no idea is actually an understatement. But in 1952, they were so, you know, scientists were so hot on this science versus God idea that they 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 uh, they did an experiment in the University of Chicago. And most of us had this on a test, either in junior high or in high school. At some point, the Miller-Urey experiment, 1952, mm-hmm. where some grad students ran electricity through some prebiotic soup, some lifeless liquid, and they got, boom, amino acids, uh, sorry, not amino acids. Yes, sorry, amino acids. 
And they thought, well, that's interesting. That must be how life began. Some 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 lightning struck, you know, the lifeless uh, liquid on 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 planet Earth, and they got some amino acids, and probably from amino acids you get proteins, and probably that's how it all started. Mm-hmm. Well, working on figuring out what happened since 1952. It's now been over 70 years. And what they confidently said in 1952, like, we're on our way. We're going to show you how life emerged. They now know that they have no idea. In other words, 70 years they've been working on how do you get a single cell, which is the, which is the simplest form of life, from no life. How do you get the first life? They know that they don't know. They're not admitting it because it's very embarrassing. You're going to lose your funding. So you keep saying, well, we're working on it. We're getting there. James Tour, you know, r- rips the mask off and says, they know, I know that they're blowing smoke. They know that they don't know how life emerged on planet Earth. And they now know that they don't know, but they're afraid to talk about it. So I wrote two chapters in my book, Is Atheism Dead? on a, on a layman's level to kind of explain this, because most of us, you never ask that question. We talk about, oh, evolution. Once you start with life, what happens to life? Forget that. Let's start with no life. How do you go from no life to life? Scientists say it happened four billion years ago, single celled life appeared. Well, the more you learn from science, the more you realize, wait a minute, a single cell is tremendously complex. It is, it is complex, but you know what the pushback, complex. but you know what the pushback on this is always is because this is what I always hear that this is the God of the gaps argument. So it's 70 years. Maybe we need 150 years to find out how they did it, how, 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 how the single yeah. cells work. What do you say to that? Well, I think that the more you know about it, the more you, in other words, God of the gaps is kind of like, they just kind of throw that word out there to shut you up. The more you look into it, the more disturbing it is. We're, we're not talking about like, well, we don't know where lightning comes from. People have been looking into this with a ton of funding for 70 years. And once you understand how complex a cell is, to state that it appeared through random processes is frankly insane. It's mm. not like, well, we don't, it's insane. It's, 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 like, it's like this. It's like... I flip a quarter and it lands heads. Then I flip it again and it lands heads. And I keep flipping it. And after 10,000 flips, it landed heads every time. Yeah. Would you just say like, well, that's, I guess that's just the odds. <laughs> you say, wait a second, something's going on here. That's not possible. I mean, try it. Anybody listening to this, take a coin and flip it. Try to get it. 10 times in a row, you'll spend the rest of your life. It'll never do 10 times in a row, hundred times in a row, thousand times in a row. When you're dealing with the emergence of a single celled life, that it's like talking about that. Like you're talking about something, well, theoretically it could happen. Okay. Make it happen. A cell is so complex. It's like somebody finding a, a, a laptop on the beach and saying, isn't this amazing? Look what the wind and the waves created. And you say, wait, 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 no, 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 no. Do you know what's in a laptop? Do you know how complex it is? And you're thinking that the wind and the waves could have just created this. When you talk about a cell of, of a, like a living cell emerging out of non-life, you're talking about the same thing. The more you know about it, the more you know that ain't happening. So people who just don't want to hear it 
they'll say, oh, well, that's the God of the gaps. It's the God of the gaps. Well, you know, it's we're not talking about the God of the gaps. We're talking about rationality and we're actually talking about doing science. When you do science, you're going to have a hard time dealing with this. Uh, but if you're honest, you're going to be honest. Uh, if you don't like it, you're going to be dishonest. Yeah. Uh, let's take a break now on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. We'll be right back with uh, Eric Metaxas. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. And we are back with uh, best-selling author Eric Metaxas. Um, you might recognize his name from the Bonhoeffer book, from uh, the book on, on Martin Luther, also on... Um, uh, Amazing Grace, uh, the uh, the biography of um, uh, Wilberforce, William Wilberforce, and uh, some other folks. Um, but we're talking about his book, Is Atheism Dead? And I've got to ask, you know, Darwin must have did a lot of damage in terms of the religious beliefs of most people because he came up with some scientific evidence for evolution so that, you know, for a lot of people, it, you know, it... it it destroyed sort of the view of, you know, in the beginning God kind of thing. What did Darwin right. do that, you know, and he actually almost lost his own faith and because of it? Well, I mean, I think he did. And I think Darwin, again, it's, it's the same thing. You could say that the more we learn from science, the more doubt we have about Darwin. In other words, when you don't know anything, it's 1859 and somebody throws some ideas at you and you go, you know what? That's plausible. That makes sense. That that could be the way life emerged on planet Earth. But now you got to do the science. Now you got to look at the fossils. And through the decades, and you know, we're we're now coming up on, I mean, my goodness, it's been a long, long time since he comes up with this theory. The evidence doesn't point to evolution. Now, is evolution possible? Is that do we have the but the point the point is that if you had to to decide today based on the science we know, you'd say we have infinitely more questions today about evolution than we did 50 years ago or 100 years ago or 150 years ago. The more we learn from science, the more we know that Darwin was pretty much blowing smoke. He's throwing these ideas around. He's not going to live long enough to see them questioned. But if you're if you're talking to people who are in the world of Darwinian evolution or neo-Darwin, they keep changing the terms because they get embarrassed. Then, you know, they expected to see transitional forms mm. and they kept looking and looking and looking and looking. And they didn't just not find transitional forms to show you how, you know, we get from this to this to this, but they kept finding more evidence in these vertical piles with zero transitional forms, which is the opposite of what they thought that they would find. So then they changed the term and they call it punctuated equilibrium or something. <laughs> what does that mean? They keep, they keep they keep coming up with new terms. And I think, why can't we just be honest? You don't have to believe in God the way I do, but why can't we be honest about the science? I mean, when you look at the work of Stephen Meyer and the folks at the Discovery Institute and the, and the world of intelligent design, all people who don't like that can do is sneer. They cannot actually argue on the merits because it's it's too embarrassing. So they have to sneer. They have to use terms. They put you down. They say, oh, you're a creationist. You believe in the God of the gaps. And I think, why can't you just do the science? So I, the reason I wrote is atheism dead is that when you see the evidence in front of you, 
it's a new day. You realize whatever embarrassment I had about my faith, I no longer have. And if anybody's an atheist, they have to be embarrassed. They have to say, okay, I can't be an atheist. Maybe I'll be an agnostic. But atheism is just, it's just preposterous because all these things that we kind of accepted, the more time goes, the more science learns, the more you realize, no, no, it's, it's, it's not what I learned. It's not, it's not what I, what I was told. Uh, I need to get along with the new narrative. And the new narrative is clear that science points to God. You want to argue about the the details of God or whatever, go ahead, but don't tell me that everything that's here and all life emerged out of random mutations and accidents. That is so ridiculous at this point. We need to be honest. We need to say it's preposterous. It's laughable. Let's start over. Let's let's think about this afresh. So so the science gets you into the ballpark and into the, the circle of God, of there's, there's a, you know, theism. But is there evidence that can get you into, you know, the biblical narrative that, that Christianity is true? Yeah. I mean, the, and you bring up maybe some archaeological stuff, but what is the evidence that, you know, that, that the God of the Bible is actually the God we're talking about? Well, I mean, there's tons of, of evidence and tons of arguments. But again, you can't force people to believe anything. So my attitude is if you're intellectually open, just look at the evidence and tell me what you see. Right. So the first part of the book is about science. The second part of the book is about archaeology. And just like I mentioned, meeting Dr. James Tour uh, down in Houston, and he starts breaking it down. By the way, he's one of the top scientists in the world. This is not just some guy. He's one of the top scientists in the world, nanoscientists, maybe the best nanoscientist in the world. And he understands this stuff and he's explaining it. And, and, and once he explains it, you think, how have I not heard this? How come this yeah. is not on headline news? Right. Well, the same thing happened when I was in Albuquerque. I met a guy. Somebody says, oh, have you met this archaeologist, Stephen Collins? He discovered biblical Sodom. And I said, what? What? That can't be right. There's no way. I would have heard about that. Well, I looked into it. This is an archaeologist who, without any doubt, and again, there's a there's a long chapter in the book, Is Atheism Dead?, where I get into this because this is it's astonishing. There's nothing, I, 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 there's no way to put it except to say it is astonishing evidence that the Bible is history. Uh, uh, by the way, and, by the way, I, uh, we did an, um, an, an interview with Dr. Stephen Collins. Uh, it has not posted yet, but it will soon. And uh, yes, and you're exactly well, right. I did uh, an interview with him. I mean, he's in, he's in the book, Is Atheism Dead? But I interviewed him for Socrates in the City. You've attended Socrates in the City events. Absolutely, City. yeah. We did a Socrates in the City event um, with Dr. Collins about the discovery of biblical Sodom. We did it in Fort Worth uh, about a little bit over a month ago. Um, And it it is, again, it speaks for itself. It's unbelievable evidence. It's incontrovertible. I mean, you know, you can say a lot of things, but the more you look at it, the more you think this is this is amazing. This is exactly what the Bible says happened at Sodom, we can now prove it. And again, don't take my word for it. Either read the chapter in my book or or listen to the Socrates in the City event. You just go to SocratesInCity.com. But the evidence is so astonishing that I said, I've got to put this in a book. People need to know yeah. Yeah. the game has changed. We're no longer living in a day where you can say, oh, the Bible's a bunch of folktales, whatever. People who believe that they're the ones now who are going to have the hard time because the evidence from archaeology continues and continues and continues to come out. And I just think, you know, if you don't have a dog in the fight, you just say, I'm just interested in whatever is true. Mm -hmm. 
at this point, you'd, you'd have to say it really looks like the Bible is history. It really looks like science points to God. I don't know what I think, but it sure looks that way. But the evidence has not been presented very much. And that's why I said I want to put it in one book, because it really is it's new. In other words, you can understand why people don't know about this, because a lot of this stuff has been coming out in recent decades and you just didn't read about it. Or this the secular media tends to avoid this stuff. Oh, absolutely. They're not really absolutely. interested in, in showing that there's evidence for God. So they kind of just blow it off. And I said, we can't blow it off. I've got to put in a book. Uh, we're going to try to do a TV series based on it. And, and we are. And I did for Socrates in the City, I did interview um, Dr. Stephen Collins. And a year ago, I interviewed um, James Tour, the Rice University uh, nanoscientist whom I just mentioned. But you know what? One of the things that is clear you're talking about is atheism dead. And I think the, as you said, as an intellectual position, it is really untenable. But the question now, because it pushes back against people of faith so much, is atheism evil? I mean, you talk about this in your book. Is it an evil thing to actually deny the existence of God? Well, yes and no. In other words, the, 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 I think that Atheism has presented, been presented to most of us as kind of a neutral thing, like secularism, mm -hmm. but it's not. And the reason it's not is that when you take God out of the equation, and again, atheists tend not to be honest about this, and I'm going to fault you on not being honest and not being clear. Atheistic societies around the world have now existed over many, many decades. So we can look at the history of those societies that promoted an atheistic view. How did they fare? Well, I'll tell you how they fared. They're some of the most sadistically cruel societies in the history of the world. Um, to pretend that they're kind of neutral and they're rational and that it, it, it is, atheism has not worn well now mm. that we have a record of atheistic societies. How about people who are atheistic? How, what, what have their lives been like? In fact, one of the things that I talk about in the book, which is again, big news, Three of the most famous atheists of the 20th century became believers. And I, I, when I found that out, I said, why haven't I read this? How is it possible that Jean-Paul Sartre and Albert Camus, who are two of the most famous atheistic uh, existen French existentialist philosophers of right, the 20th right. century, whose books you were forced to read in college, and that those two men, independent of each other, Camus before his death uh, in 1960 and Jean-Paul Sartre before his death in 1980, both of them came to faith in the God of the Bible and nobody reported on it. And when I when I discovered this, I said, this can't be right. I'm shocked I because I have never, never, never heard this. But that, that, you're like me. I, I couldn't believe it. I said, this can't be right. So when, once I looked into it, I thought, this is like a conspiracy. These guys who are the big voices of atheism come to faith and nobody knows that they came to faith. I never heard of it. You never heard of it. You kind of think, well, what's going on? Why is this being suppressed? And, you know, some of it's being suppressed. Some of it is just, again, you're dealing with a secular media that tends to blow this stuff off. Like it's a little embarrassing that I want to talk about God. Anthony Flew is the most recent one. Uh, he's uh, within the last 15 years. Yeah. But he was the guy who wrote the textbooks on atheism. This guy came to wow. believe in a God. Now, not maybe not Jesus, but the point is, there's no doubt 
that he came to believe in God and he talked about ruffling the feathers of the atheist, went insane, calling him all kinds of names and everything. How you're, you're this, you know, Judas betrayer. Uh, the same thing was said of Jean-Paul Sartre in 1980 when he came to faith. Uh, it's kind of funny how angry the atheists get because they feel betrayed. It's like, well, why don't you maybe open your mind a little bit? You claim to be rational. Why don't you look at the evidence that they looked at? Are you afraid that they're right? I think the answer is yes. People are afraid to look at the evidence. So they, they call you names. They, they have to say you're anti-science. Or you, it's like, no, 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 no. Atheism is anti-science. Again, this is the memo that people need to get. It's why I wrote the book, Is Atheism Dead? I said people, first of all, people of faith need to be aware that your faith is ultra-rational. The idea that somebody's going to tell you you're being irrational. No, no, no. Atheism is irrational. So you want to debate the middle ground, go ahead. But 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 you cannot buy into this lie anymore that believing in the God of the Bible or believing in any God is not rational. That idea has to get off the table. And believers need to get that memo first, uh, because unless the church understands that what we believe is rational, we're certainly not going to be able to uh, have much confidence in sharing our faith with our neighbors. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, before we go, um, I just wanted to actually get you to comment on something because I think it was just, it's one of those things where, one of those stories where the rubber meets the road, where, you know, it, you're not debating atheism is God real or not. You're de- debating, it's a political idea that says if you believe in this, if you believe in Jesus, then you shouldn't vote for Trump. Now, I know that you're a Trump supporter, and Joy Behar of The View has come out when saying, Oh, you can't be a follower of Jesus and vote for Trump. I mean, like, I don't understand what that is, but what's your reaction? Don't you find it funny that somebody like Joy Behar, who is not a follower of Jesus, is telling people who are followers of Jesus what they can do? Uh, Joy Behar is in no position to tell Jesus followers for whom to vote. But I would simply say that, you know, I feel bad taking cheap shots at... uh, taking any shots at Joy Behar because she's not some great intellect. She's very opinionated. She's very emotional. She gets very angry. I would love to have a conversation with her personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I would do it on my radio program or I would just do it just with her because I, I don't think she understands what she's saying. I think a lot of times people make these statements and they, they, they don't, they, she has some view obviously that Donald Trump is like Adolf Hitler. So in her mind, it's like saying, well, if you believe in Jesus, you can't vote for Adolf Hitler. I would agree with that. Yeah. But her view of Donald Trump is just kind of a, a cartoon version. I mean, she she clearly doesn't understand what she's saying. Yeah, yeah. And it's very interesting, but only, uh, only the Democrats or people in the Democratic Party are acting like Hitler actually right now. <laughs> well, but I mean, that's... That's a fact, Lauren. And I think, listen, the good news is more and more people are waking up to that. We have never seen um, this kind of government authoritarianism trying to crush dissent in America, trying to crush free speech. If you talk about the election, oh, maybe the election was stolen. Oh, you can't talk about that. Why can't I talk about it? This is a free country. Patriots have died so that we can discuss everything, so so that we can root out corruption. Uh, and And when people tell you you can't talk about that, that's when you know they're afraid of something. And so I really do believe that um, people are waking up. Uh, 
uh, to the fact that the Democratic Party is no longer the party of Tip O'Neill. They've gotten in bed with Marx, cultural Marxists and globalists and authoritarians. They don't believe in what the founding fathers believed in. They are no longer a party that uh, anybody who loves America can take seriously. Um, and the only way to deal with that is to ignore it. But people who are seeing this stuff, uh, it, it's a new day and it's very it's very upsetting for them. All right. Well, um, th- I want to thank you so much, Eric, for being on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. Real quick, where can people find more of your stuff and more about your writing and um, your um, your radio show and all the things that are that make up Eric Metaxas? Well, the easiest thing in the world, if you can only spell my name, it's ericmetaxas.com <laughs> is the website, ericmetaxas.com. If you go there, there's a ton of stuff uh, about all my books and, and everything. So I always say to people, please go to ericmetaxas.com. Dot com And I mentioned earlier Socrates in the City. If you go to SocratesInTheCity.com, you can see my interviews with a ton of interesting people, two of which I just mentioned, the scientist James Tour and the archaeologist Dr. Stephen Collins. Um, so that's SocratesInTheCity.com. So SocratesInTheCity.com and EricMetaxas.com. And the book that we've been talking about is titled, Is Atheism Dead? Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. Amazon Prime members can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music app or just hit the follow button on your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for being on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. Um, Eric, thank you so much. Anytime, Lauren. God bless you. God bless you, too. And thank you all for listening to Lighthouse Faith Podcast. I'm Lauren Green. Have a blessed day. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.